Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. All right, go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word. We're not going to start reading just yet, but if you'll go ahead and get ready. We're in 1 John 2, 7 through 11. The title of today's sermon is The Law of Love. The Law of Love. As you're turning there, as you're getting ready, I want to take a moment to refresh our memory of what we're studying here, uh, refresh mainly uh, kind of some, some background of, of 1 John. It's going to be very important for us to remember these things as we look to understand our text this morning. But we've been talking about, uh, first of all, who John is. He was the, the beloved disciple of Jesus Christ, that him and Jesus were, were really, really close and he is now a very old man, a very old man, as old as I feel sometimes. Um, he's a very old man at this point. This is late, late, late in the first century. Basically, all of the other apostles have now been martyred and passed away. And what's happening in the early church is a lot of dysfunction, a lot of things going awry. Now, why is that? Well, we've talked about that any time anytime and anywhere you find truth, rest assured there is always at least ten lies with it, fighting against that truth. And it has always been the case with the truth of God's Word, right? There has always been falsehood and wrong teaching and, and, and various things to lead people astray from knowing the truth of God. Why? Because when we know the truth about God, we come to know God Himself. We do have a very real enemy who works in the world, and he is not interested in seeing that happen. And so false teaching has always existed. Certainly the early church was really, really battling against it. And see what's happening is that this false teaching, this Gnostic heresy that we talked about, It's drawing people away from congregations and drawing people away from the faith. You see, this letter to John, uh, this first John letter, was not written to a specific church. It was written to churches, and it was supposed to be circulated around the area. Why? Because not one church in particular was struggling with this problem. Many churches were. And isn't that so relevant today? That people are leaving churches in droves chasing after empty promises. It is a sad, sad situation. Now, I'm not speaking specifically of leaving this church. We don't own the market on truth. There are plenty of, of churches today that preach the truth and that hold high the Scriptures. But we see many people who have been confessing the faith, leaving the faith because of false teaching. 
And it was certainly the case there in that early first century. And so what John is doing is he is writing to a particular audience of people, of Christians, who are shaken. They're shaken both by the false teaching. Well, hold on a second. Is this real? Because it sounds pretty good. It's a very convincing thing that they were teaching. But they were also shaken because they were seeing people fall away from the faith. And doesn't that always hurt when that happens? And so they're shaken And their faith is undoubtedly shaken. And so John takes pen to paper and writes this letter to be circulated throughout all the churches. And what is he doing in this letter? He's wanting to strengthen these churches, to encourage these churches. And how does he do that? Is by writing out a bunch of tests for your salvation. Isn't that completely counterintuitive to what we think today? Well, when people need encouragement, they just need to hear Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has a good plan for their life. Well, brother, when people need encouragement, what they need to hear is, is a pat on the back. And yes, that's true. All of those things are wonderful. Jeremiah 29, 11 is in Scripture. It is, part of, it is part of the canon. It's a great verse. We all need a pat on the back. We all need an attaboy here and there. All of us do. I'm not speaking against that, but what John finds to be the most important thing that he can write to these churches is for them to find an assurance of their salvation. Why is that? Because an assurance of your salvation will get you through anything. It will get you through anything this world has to throw at you. Any manner of hurt, any manner of dysfunction, any manner of slander, of affliction, of suffering, having an assurance of your salvation will get you through it all because you can rest assured that no matter how bad it gets here, that one day I will cross over into glory and He will wipe away every tear from my eye. And no matter how tough it is down here and how many nights I find myself going to sleep with tear-stained pillow, one day, though sadness tarry for the night, joy will come in the morning. And that morning will be when we cross over into glory with our Father. So the greatest gift that we can be given is to be sure that we will see that happen in our life. Not just somebody else's, but my life, that I will experience that. Now, I want to again offer this disclaimer. I encourage you, brothers and sisters, as we look at these scriptures to test our salvation, the worst thing in the world that you can do is to say, I'm good, I know I'm a Christian. I don't need to be tested. I'm good. I know I'm a Christian. This test is for someone else. The worst thing that you can do is to grade yourself easily. Why? Because we want to test our assurance. Don't you want to know that you know that you know that you know that you are in the faith? Moreover, we are commanded in Scripture to test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. To have the blessed assurance, we must have our assurance tested. So with that in mind, let's stand.
Let's read 1 John 2, verses 7 through 11. Bless you all who are sneezing right now. I hope it's not corona. 1 John 2, 7 through 11. This is the word of the living God. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, with our Bibles open, needing to hear from you, Lord, but not some generic, vague, transcendent voice cracking up the, open the sky from heaven, but just hearing from your word, Lord. You have given us your word, and your word is sufficient, Lord. I ask that your word would go forth this morning and, and accomplish its intended purpose this morning, Lord. I ask that I would get out of your way and that I would just trust your word and be faithful to your text. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. As I was preparing for this sermon, you know, we're talking about the law of love. We're going to be taking this test of love. And I got to thinking of our dog. For those of you who don't know, we have this dog named Pippa, and Gabby uh, initially saved this dog, so it was Gabby's dog long before I ever knew her. Gabby saved this dog from a shelter when she was a puppy. This was long ago when Gabby was still in the dark before she met me, and um, <laughs> just kidding. She saved this puppy, and so she has a strong affection for this dog. She loves this dog. And now that we're married, one of the worst parts of Gabby's life is that she believes that this dog loves me more than her. She says, she says she sees you as the alpha male, so she doesn't love me anymore. And so I'm always looking for opportunities to show Gabby that you're, you're, you're just, just thinking that because now we're sharing her love. She loves you still, don't worry. And she really gave me a perfect opportunity the other day. One night this week, we were going to pick up something that Gabby had purchased, and we had Pippa in the truck with us. We had the window down, and Pippa was watching Gabby get off, and she's walking away, and so she kind of sits up on where the window's at, and she's looking out the window and sniffing, and I don't think anything of it because Pippa is always doing this, just like any dog. And like any good dog owner, I was busy staring at my phone, paying no attention to her. Until I felt this flex on my leg, and next thing you know, Pippa was no longer in my lap. 
I drive a truck. I don't have this big monster truck by any means, but this is a pretty high jump for this dog to make. But she loved Gabby so much that she gave her one and only life to jump out of this truck and try to chase after her. But the best part about this story is that we had taken her for a walk, so we still had her leash on her, and her leash was in my hand. So when she jumped out, she came back and slammed against the truck door. And there she was dangling until I came to and realized what had happened, and she just is there, like, let me go so I can go catch Gabby. And so she does love you more. I said it in church, it's true. But that is a love test, is it not? What a test of, of, of her love, her deep, profound affection for my wife. And so in the same way, we want to test ourselves, test our love today. Now, we're, not going, we're going to deal a lot with love later on in this book, so we're not going to go too in-depth on that, but we want to get our minds beginning to focus and think around this topic of love for the brothers, love for the brethren. As we look at our text, we see John opening up with this great word, beloved. He says, beloved, I am writing you no new commandment. I love this word. In the beginning of chapter 2, he opens up saying, my little children. What John is doing is expressing his, his deep affection showing his audience how much he genuinely cares for them by calling them beloved, dearly loved of the Lord. I am writing you no new commandment. How many of you, upon first reading this, said, well, it sure sounds like John is schizophrenic. I am writing you no new commandment, but it is a new commandment. It's just not a new one. It's an old one, but it's also new, but it's not new. It's old. What are you talking about, John? Well, let's try to understand this. He says, I am writing you no new commandment. The first thing that I want you to notice is that he says no new commandment. One of the ways to be sure that you will be swept away by false teaching is by chasing something new. If it's new, it ain't true. We want to believe historical true traditional Christianity that Christians have always believed all throughout history, that's what we want to believe. We want to believe what those people who walked with Jesus, what did they believe? We want to align ourselves with that, not with every new wind and wave of cool teaching. We live in the day of what I call hashtag theology. The people get their theology, and if you really examine yourself, you would have to say that there's some truth to this statement, that we get most of what we believe about God from social media, whether it be Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever other, bitter, I don't know, whatever other ones exist out there, because people are always flooding timelines with you know, scriptures and different thoughts about God, and I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. Those are good things, but that cannot be our main course of how we get theology because we'll always be finding ourselves believing something new. And what John is saying is, I'm not writing you a new commandment. And it's very important that he's writing this to these churches because 
the teaching that they're hearing from the Gnostics, it is a new teaching. It is a new command that they are being taught and told and exhorted to keep by these Gnostics. So he's telling them by, with his apostolic authority, listen, I'm not telling you a new command. This is the same command that you've always had. It's always been there. And this is our first major heading today as we're going to look at the old commandment. What did John mean by the old commandment? He says the old commandment that you had from the beginning. The Jewish people that he's writing to would, would remember the Shema. Back in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, you could flip there if you would like, but it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's just verse 4 and 5 that would immediately stick out to you. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This was the Shema. It was called the Shema because in Hebrew, I know everybody in here speaks Hebrew, so you already know this, but in Hebrew, the word here is Shema. So that's what they would call this prayer is listen, O Israel, hear, O Israel, that the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So this was an old commandment that they would have been very familiar with. That this is all about love. That it is a law of love. It has always been this way. This is what John is preparing their minds to be oriented around. That it's always been about this law of love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your mind and all your heart and all your strength. And then in Leviticus 19.18 we find the other commandment that Jesus tells us is right just like the Shema, that it's just like you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, strength. And it's that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. From Leviticus 19, 18. You'll remember that story of Jesus being approached by the religious leader. And he asks him, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus tells him, well, he quotes the first part of the Shema that you shall love your Lord, God, your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And another is just like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says something so profound, that on these two hang the whole law and the prophets. He's telling us that the law is a law of love. That if you love you will not transgress against any one of the commandments. That every command that has been written from Genesis to the end in Malachi, everything that has been written in there can be summed up by saying, love God, love people. Now we hear that, and especially those of us who have been around church for a long time, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, I know, love God, love people. Okay, right. Sure. And I bet you that if we were to poll the room and ask, do you believe you do this? Every single person in here would say, yeah. Do you love your neighbor? Yeah, of course I do. I believe what we do is we confuse nice manners and being cordial with love. 
And I believe we'll see that here today. It's not a new commandment, John says. It's an old commandment that you had from the beginning. And in another sense, he says, the old commandment is the word that you have heard. The word that you have heard. In chapter, or in chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 John, he talks about the word of life. He's talking about this word of life that, that they are proclaiming unto the churches, unto the people, unto all who will hear. It is this word, this word of life. And now he is saying, it's the old commandment is the word that you have heard. So I believe John is doing two things. He's saying, on, on, on the one hand, it's an old commandment in the sense that it's always been around, that God has put this in stone all the way back from, from Deuteronomy, from Leviticus. It's always been this way. But it's also an old commandment in the sense that this is what we taught you when we first brought you the gospel, is that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. You can flip over to chapter 3, and we're just going to look at these just to see. For chapter 3, verse 11, he says, This is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Then down to verse 23 and 24, This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. And then in chapter 4, verse 21, he says, And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So you see, this is what, what John is saying. In, in the one sense, it's an old command because it's always been around ever since Deuteronomy and Levit Leviticus, ever since we first got the law. And then in a whole other sense, it is an old command because this is what we taught you when we first came to you. In other words, guys, we've been saying this. Listen, we've been telling you that this is the point. This is the essence. This is, this is what is, it, it is all about, is to love God and love people. It's the old commandment that you had from the beginning. But then he says in verse 8, so bizarre, he's just changing his mind. At the same time, it is a new commandment. So our second major heading today, we're going to look at this new commandment in verse 8. What is this new commandment? Or rather, what we, could, what we should probably better ask is, in what way is it new? Because it's not new, right? It's always been there. Ever since Deuteronomy, we read it. Ever since Leviticus, the law, it's always been there. So it's not really a new commandment. But he's saying at the same time it is a new commandment. So then our question then should be, in what way is it new? In what sense is this a new commandment? If it's not actually new that we've never heard it before, then in what way is it new? Are you sufficiently confused? I hope that we'll shine some clarity as we, we look here at verse 8. In what sense... Is this a new commandment? Turn over to John's Gospel. The Gospel of John, chapter 13. John chapter 13. We're asking, in what sense is it new? At the same time, it is a new commandment. 
that I am writing to you. So in, in, in what sense is it new? John chapter 13, it's verse 34. We're just going to read the first half. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. So we see this is Jesus' command, is that we love each other. And at this time, he is specifically talking to his disciples. In another part of John's gospel, he will tell them that the way that the disciples will love one another, and therefore all, create, all Christians throughout human history, the way that they love one another is how the world will be able to distinguish them as followers of Christ. That they love each other differently. They don't just have a generic care and concern. They're not just, just having good manners around one another, but it's that they love one another. So what does this look like? Because that's still not a real new command, is it, Jesus? He says, a, a, a new commandment I give to you, that, that you love one another. Well, let's consider Jesus' example. The second part of that verse, he says, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Let's read that again. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Let's have a moment of honesty, shall we? To love the way that Jesus loved. Do we ever really stop to think of what that really entails? He came to this earth, a world that was not seeking for him, a world that was in active rebellion against him. He walked this earth living a life of sinless perfection. Think about the time that he spent with his disciples. What, what did that look like? Didn't he at one time call Peter Satan? Didn't at one time he say, get behind me, Satan? Didn't he call the Pharisees a brood of vipers? Didn't he call them didn't he say that they were like whitewashed tombs? That on the outside they looked really good, but on the inside they were dead? Didn't Jesus have some really harsh things to say? But at the same time, didn't Jesus also befriend and love the unlovely? He loved the tax collector. For those of you who aren't aware, a tax collector is the worst job that you could possibly have. It is most hated among the Jewish people. They, they saw you as a traitor, a despicable traitor. Jesus loved those people. As a matter of fact, one of them became one of the twelve disciples. His name is Matthew. He was a tax collector. He loved prostitutes. How many of us in here are befriending people who are in that lifestyle? He washed the feet of his disciples. He took on scorn. He bore our affliction. He was beaten mercilessly. 
Did he say a word? Did he fight back? Did he say, no, I need to stand up for my humanity? He took it like a sheep led to slaughter. He bore our sins on the cross. He died bearing our sins, absorbing the full measure of God's wrath towards those who would believe. Do you mean to love like that, Jesus? I think if we're being honest in here this morning, we would say there's not a chance that I hold a candle to that kind of love. If I'm being honest with you, there's plenty of ways that I don't hold a candle to that kind of love. If I'm being honest with you, a lot of times what love means is I will love you from afar in a way that is convenient. But don't let it cost me anything. If I'm being honest with you, that is what I often find myself doing. And then this text came in and smashed me right between the eyes. Don't let it cost me anything. I'm okay with loving you as long as you stay over there. Just don't invade my space. I will love you as long as it doesn't really cost me anything. But what did Jesus say? Is that I'm giving you a new command. Love your brothers and sisters the way I loved you. You know one really good test? When I worked in retail, and we do this, don't we? We, we? we ask this question that we don't really mean to seek the answer to. We ask, hey, how are you doing today? And if you worked in retail, you know that this is just an icebreaker. Hey, how are you doing today? And I know that I didn't love the way that Jesus loved because when people would answer honestly, in my mind I'm thinking, dude, I didn't want to hear all that. Hey, how are you doing today? And, you know, I'm, I'm a mess. It's, it's been a really rough morning. My, one of my family members passed away, and then I had a flat on the way here. And, uh, my, my phone got shut off last night, so I'm here to pay it so I can turn it back on so I can begin to make funeral arrangements. That, that would happen. And I would sit there just feeling awful. Wow, I, I didn't really care to ask how this person was doing, did I? I just wanted to take their money, to pay their bill, and to get out the door. Whenever, you answer, whenever someone asks you that question, please just say, fine, thank you. That's how we feel, isn't it? I think if you're being honest this morning, it's probably the same. Unless you love like Jesus, in which case, teach us. But our love is so imperfect. Our love is rooted in selfishness. I will love you to the extent that it costs me nothing. I will love you to the extent that it's convenient for me. I will love you in the way that I think about love. But what did Jesus say? A new command I give to you. Just as I have loved you. Not how the world teaches you to love. Not how you grew up thinking love is supposed to be. Not what people at church taught you about love. As I have loved you, 
I laid down my all for you. Well, they just don't deserve it. I'm not going to forgive them because they offended me. What does Scripture say? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? While you were in active rebellion against Jesus Christ, He said, I love you. I'm going to bear your sins. And you don't understand it right now. But a day will come when I will give you vision, when I will give you sight, and I will turn the lights on within you, and you'll begin to understand the incredible measure of grace that I have had towards you. And I'm going to bear your sins on this cross. And I am going to be crushed under the weight of your disgusting sin. And I am going to be pummeled under the wrath of Almighty God because I love you. And how do we love? I'm busy right now. Call me later. How do we love? I'm not going to forgive them. They always do this to me. They always say this to me. They always treat me this way. They don't deserve my love. Well, I do love them. I do. I just don't like them. Wow, that sure sounds like the kind of love that Jesus has, doesn't it? Or it doesn't at all. What does our text tell us? So this is a new command for us. If we live in Christ, if we are Christian, it is not enough to just say it. It is not enough for us to just to be like, yeah, of course, of course I love them. But we must test our love against the love of Jesus Christ and 100% of the time you will see that you do not love like he loves. You don't. I don't. No one does. But the point, the example that Jesus laid forth for us is to love sacrificially. Not just to the people that are in your circle. Because we can even do that, can't we? Well, I will love these people like that. But what he's talking about here is your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, even the ones you don't like. Yes, even the ones that get on your nerves. Yes, even the ones that dress differently than you. Yes, even the ones that you don't think are, are, are deserving of your love. That those brothers and sisters in Christ are not any more deserving of your love than you are of God's love. That that would be the kind of love that marks our life. Loving like Jesus did. I hope this is weighing on your heart the way it did mine. John says, which is true in him and in you, You see, what John is saying is that evidence that you have been born again is that this is true in you the way it is in him. Evidence that you have been reborn, not evidence that you have said, yes, I'm a Christian. Anyone can say that. 
evidence that you genuinely are a Christian is that within your heart, you are ever growing in the love of Christ towards others. How does this happen? Is it the more that I come to know the love of God towards me in Jesus, the more I begin to love other people the more that I begin to see how exactly sinful I am and how I do not deserve grace, the more patient I am with other people. Listen, God Almighty was patient with me for 31 years. So yeah, I'll give you another 10 minutes. I'll give you another week. I will be patient towards you. Because my God was patient towards me. He was long-suffering towards me. And if we're being honest this morning, we are not like that. You can sit there. and You can lie to yourself. And you can say, this doesn't apply to me because I do love this way. Or we can be honest before the Lord and allow His Word to work in our hearts and bring us real healing. John says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This means two different things. In one sense, the darkness that is in the world is passing away because Jesus Christ has already come victorious and destroyed the works of darkness And that light continues to shine in the pages of written Scripture where we can turn and see the glories of God, the glories of Jesus Christ. The light still continues to shine. And then it shines within the people who who bear His name, who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The light of Jesus shines forth from you. But in another sense, it also means that the darkness is passing away in your own life. Remember in chapter 1 that he said that God is light. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. What is he saying here? How does that apply here? Is that if we are still in darkness, we do not love this way. But if we have been brought to the light, the darkness is passing away. And the light is already shining. Do you see these two things at work? The darkness is continuing to pass away while the light is already shining. In other words, when you come to know Jesus, two things are happening. Your old sinful self is passing away through sanctification, but already in an irrevocable way, The light of Christ is already within you. He says that the light, in John chapter 1, he says that the light was the life of men. That Jesus gives you life, and that is light within you. So evidence that you are a Christian is not, yes, I'm a Christian. Don't worry about me, pastor. Don't worry about me, brother. I've been in church for 8,800 years. Don't worry about me. I'm a Christian. That's not the evidence that you're in in Christ. The evidence that you are in Christ is that the darkness is passing away from your life and the light of Christ is shining, which is causing you to love people more every day. 
It is causing you to see how imperfect your love is. My friend, I tell you this morning, if you think there is nothing wrong with the way that you love people, you are in the dark. The light is not on within you. How can I possibly say that? Read John chapter 1, 5 through 10 again. That he who says he is without sin is in the dark. You're still in the dark. The light's never turned on for you. I don't say that this morning to be mean. I say that this morning that the light would turn on so that you could come to the light. Let's examine ourselves against this passage. Our last thing that we're going to look at today is the law of love. Verses 9 through 11, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Really quickly, I want you to notice, he does not say, whoever says he is in the light and hates all the people who are outside of his close circle. Because we're all, all very comfortable with loving those people that are very close to us. That's not what he's talking about here. Of course you love those people. Of course you would give your all for those. He's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Other brothers and sisters in Christ, especially the ones that you don't like. You know why? Because you have an opportunity to love like Christ did by loving people you don't like. Because that's what Jesus does, is love the unlovely. He loves the unlovable. That's what he does. So for us to exercise gifts of mercy and grace would be, I know that I have a hard time with this person, but Lord God, please, please make me love like you. And go love that person. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Evidence that this world that we live in is in the darkness is how much hatred there is today. A lot of people think that we still live in a Christian nation, but our Christian is far from our nation is far from godly. How can I say that? Because this passage says that if you hate people, you're in the dark. There is so much hatred in this world today. Turn on the TV. Turn on any station. Cities are on fire. People are yelling at each other. People in high political offices are yelling at each other, calling each other names. We don't live in a Christian nation anymore. We live in a nation that allows us the freedom to be Christian for now. Evidence that this world is in darkness is the hate that floods the streets. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Romans 13.10 says, 13, says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. What John is saying here, that if you love your brother, you abide in the light, and in you there is no cause for stumbling, means that I don't want to put a stumbling block before a brother or sister. I don't wish poor for my brother and sister. 
I don't get excited and happy when people start to gang up on that brother or sister. I don't enjoy to put, make my brother or sister look like a fool. I don't wish to see them have egg on their face. No, but love covers a multitude of sins. How many? A multitude. Love covers a multitude of sins. Ephesians 5.8 says, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Romans 13.12, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. John finishes up our section by saying, Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He who does not love has not come to know love. If you do not, if you walk in hatred, if you have hatred for a person, if you harbor unforgiveness, how can you possibly say that you have tasted the free grace of Jesus Christ? It's a hard truth, isn't it? But it is a truth that will set you free. Why? Because Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. Dear friends, if you find yourself here this morning, and the part of this verse that is true about you is the hating of your brother, I want to tell you this morning, that's not the worst thing that could be said of you this morning. Yes, it is sinful to hate your brother, but it's better to confess the hatred that you've harbored in your heart than it is to go to the grave a non-believer. The greater sin would be to deny it. The greater sin would to be, be to live in unbelief. The best thing that you could do for yourself this morning is to come to the light and confess your sins. Why? Because he tells us earlier in this chapter that the blood of Jesus washes us clean. Let's stand. We will all love imperfectly. We will never finally figure it out. We're not going to be professionals at this. But that's not the aim. The aim is not perfection. The aim is direction. That I am going down the path of Christ-likeness. Not that I'm perfect, but that I'm becoming more like Christ. And maybe if you're here this morning and you have not come to know the love of this Jesus, I want to tell you that he loves you so much that he bore your sin on the cross after living a life of perfection that you could never live. And because of this great love that he has for us, if you will believe in his perfect, finished work, repent of your sins and put your trust and your faith in him the scriptures say that you will be forgiven and nothing feels as good as forgiven.